Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. We'll begin in verse 28. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Today I want to talk to you about living in the lap of God. Living in the lap of God. Lap is an acronym meaning love and purpose. Living in the love and purpose of God. And we're going to see four, four truths today, four statements from this, the, this passage of Scripture that help us understand, help us grasp what it is like living in our God's lap. You know, the lap is a special place. My children have a special place. Well, they're bigger now, they're heavier. But when they were little, when they were little, I loved to bring them up into my lap and love on them and assure them and talk to them about how much I love them and, and just hold them. That's a special place reserved for a father and his children. And not everybody gets to do that, but my kids know that they always have that place with me. And even when they were, you know, uh, incurred some kind of injury by scraping the knee, falling off the bicycle, or, or maybe a friend said something that hurt them, or, or maybe the paddle in my hand did the work. But either way, I always took them up in my arms and reassured them in my lap because that's the place where we find security. That's the place where we really f- understand just how loved we are. Your Heavenly Father invites you to that very place, and we're going to see through His love and purpose what we get from that, what understanding, what reality that we find for our own lives. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Now I want you to just read this out loud with me. Many of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. And we're going we're gonna to go through verse 32. But let's read this verse together. Are you ready? Read nice and loud. Read. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. I want to stop right there for a moment, and I want you to see two key words here, that purpose and love are both there. You know, there is uh, no purpose if there is no love. Without God's love, we find no purpose. God's love for you is your purpose, and your love for God is your purpose. I married Heather for the purpose, based on the purpose of love. What is the purpose of getting married if you don't love them? What's the purpose of having kids if you don't plan on loving those kids? I mean, they might not have shown up on purpose, <laughs> but you love them. Without his love, we have no purpose at all. Now, I want you to notice something as well as in this verse what it does say, but I want you to also see what it does not say. This does not say that everything that happens to you comes from God. It doesn't say that God made everything that happens happen. You know, I've had things happen in my life that I know for a fact did not come from God. But somehow, in God's power the miraculous power of his purpose and love, because he loves me and because I love him, because you love him and because he loves you, he finds a way to turn our tragedies into triumph. He has a way about him, a a master ability to turn our calamities 
He has a way to turn our destruction, our disaster, into a great deliverance. He is not the cause of the bad things happening. God can use those things, though, to make good things happen to you. I want to say that one more time. God is not the cause of the bad things that are happening. But he can use those things to cause good things to happen for you. Let's read on in this, in this chapter. Verse 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he, also, whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. It's interesting that he takes you all the way to resurrection in this verse of Scripture. All the way there. That's what glorification is about. When you, this body is changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and you receive a new, hallelujah, never wear out body. It's as though... God already sees you as perfect and complete. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? What conclusion do we arrive at? What is it that we say based on the information that we've just received about our God? What is our response to this? What is our confession now? See, we learn about God, and that's where we, this is what theology is, the study of God. And so we see the theology part of this verse. But now we have, we move into the doctrine portion, and that is what we think about it, what we do about it, how we act upon it. What is our response to this? Yet, what then shall we say? What is it shall we, that we shall say? Let's say it out loud. If God is for us. Who can be against us? In other words, if God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. Amen. Our doctrine is we are victorious. If God is for us. Let's look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. Let's just pause and think about that for just a moment. He who did not spare his own son. That's a love that's hard for any of us here in this room to imagine today. He did not spare his own son. But he would pay whatever price to have you. That's what that proves to us. That God was not willing to live without you. But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? These four truths, these four things, these four streams, I should say, that flow from this reality of living in the lap of God are number one, conformity to Jesus that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, that Jesus would be the firstborn among many 
who are just like him. At one time, he was the only begotten son of God, but that's not the reality today. Today, he's the firstborn among many brethren. Come on, turn to somebody and tell them you're just like Jesus. You're just like Jesus. Conformity to Jesus, this is, this is what we come to understand in the lap of our God through his love and purpose. Number two, assurance of salvation. That is, to know that you are saved and saved forever. These he justified, he also glorified. God already sees it complete, sees you a finished work, and yet we're all here in process today. Number three, we find confidence that God is on our side. Right here and right now, in this moment, in that seat that you're sitting in, right now, God is on your side. Not just in heaven waiting for you to be on your side. Right now. Say right now. God is on my side. And number four, we find the knowledge of the price he paid for our abundance. The knowledge of the price that he paid for our abundance. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? There was enough of the price paid for you to have more than enough. Father, we thank you for this moment in your presence with your people. Thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ now to be here upon their lives, Lord, that you would grant that to them, the eyes of their understanding being enlightened, that they would know what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints. I thank you, Lord, that you bless this message today and you bless the hearer. Lord, that today when the word falls on ears, it doesn't fall on deaf ears, it falls on open ears, ready to attend, ready to heed what God says. And Lord, that your word will take deep root in the lives of all these who hear this message today, God, because your word is life to those who find it and it is health to all of their flesh. So we invite your word. We let your word have full reign in our lives at this moment. We lay aside every distraction and we say, Lord, we're giving attention to you. We're focused on you. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. We thank you for your word and all of its power in our lives and we invite it now to come. Change us, challenge us, correct us, build us up, help us, strengthen us. Give us a renewed hope today. In the name of Jesus, amen. His first thought I want to get to you today is conformity to Jesus. That's what your Father desires for you. And His love and purpose, He has designed for you to be conformed to the image of His Son. If a parent takes a child by the hand and shows them how, just how hot the stove is by pressing their little hand up against the hot stove, do you call them a good parent or do you call them a child abuser? Yeah. I hope you're not confused about that. He's a child abuser. 
All right. Well, you know, hey, 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 they had good intentions. After all, you got to teach them about the hot stove and just trying my best at it. No, how about just say, don't touch the hot stove? That's how a lot of us receive instruction. Our parents didn't, didn't beat us or abuse us to teach us something. They simply told us. My parents told me things so that I wouldn't have to endure some of the trouble that they did. I'm grateful for that. Didn't always listen. Hey, I'm in the right church. I know you didn't always listen to your parents either. All right? Didn't always listen. You know, you get stupid sometimes. You decide, you think for a moment. You have these moments of stupidity growing up that you're smarter than your parents all of a sudden. You know, if I could just try to convince my kids, no matter how much I try to convince them, they're, they're still going to make the, their own decision, right? I mean, you just do your best. And, I, and I'll tell them, I say, hey, I'm your future talking. I'm coming to you from your future. Listen to me. Listen to wisdom. You could hear Solomon hearing these words. My son, give attention to my words. Lean your ear and climb your ear. Listen, I, these words that I give you, they're life. They'll add peace to you. They'll add length of days and long life. Listen. So these things. I, I can remember when I was a kid growing up in southern Oklahoma, my dad had some horses. And uh, I got on one of the horses one day. His name was Van Gogh. Beautiful horse. Appaloosa. Had that white rear end, you know, red color horse. Oh, he was gorgeous. And we had some other horses around, and it, it was turning toward the evening. And as I was riding around on this horse, the other horses took off toward the barn. Because about that time of day, they knew that they were going to be eating oats. That was feeding time. So they just took off south of where we were in the pasture toward the barn. They set up on a hill. Well, my horse followed suit. My dad taught me something about riding horses. I was about eight years old at this time, and I was riding this horse. And he said, don't let fear get the best of you. You control that horse. No matter how scared you get, you're in control. That horse, you make that horse obey you. And that bit in that horse's mouth, when you, when you grab a hold of those reins, that horse will do what you want it to because that bit hurts. So I said, okay. So that's how we learned to ride, unafraid. All of a sudden, I was caught off guard. My horse took off, running with those other horses. He was ready to eat and get me off his back. And boy, he took off. And all of a sudden, before the instruction set in, don't be afraid, control that horse. I was afraid, and I had no control of the horse. And this horse is galloping at full speed. And, 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 and the worst thing I could do was let loose on the reins a little bit instead of pull hard. Well, I let loose. And so then he was running at full galloping. And so then at, by the time I tried to, to slow this machine down, I had no control. But I did know something about where I was. I knew just before we get to the top of that hill where the barn set, there was a big sand pit there because Thackerville, Oklahoma is sandy. That's why peanuts grow and watermelon grow. They're great. Mostly peanut farmers are there. Grows great in the sand. I knew there was a big sand pit there, so I waited for my moment. And when the horses went across the sand pit, this eight-year-old kid bailed off that horse <laughs> trying to preserve my own life, to which I thought my dad would be proud. And I thought he would come over to me and say, hey, that was good thinking, son. Way to, way to wait till the sand. Or, or man, I, I, I don't know what happened to that horse, Why? but I'm just glad to see that you're okay. And so I'm waiting for him to come to my aid and, 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 and reassure me that my decision was right. I got nothing like that. I got a belt across my backside, and then a good scolding told me, go find that horse. 
because he gave me the instruction. It just got stupid. A little while later, I was on another horse. This horse was a bigger horse. His name was Thunder. I don't know why I was out riding horses by myself as an eight-year-old kid. Now, think about that. That might have been a bit abusive of my parents to just <laughs> let me just run around horseback riding. Well, this time I'm on Thunder. There are no other horses around except across the road. Our neighbor has a, a mare over there, and this mare just happens to be in heat. So she starts announcing, I'm in heat, I'm in heat, over across the way. And so Thunder, ah! and he took off toward the fence, right? And it's the same scenario. Except when panic struck, also the remembrance of the pain followed right behind it of that belt and that scolding. And I can remember my dad's voice telling me, don't you ever do that again. You don't ever bail off a horse. And so, again, I tried to control this horse, and I couldn't. So I let go of the reins, and I grabbed the hold of the saddle horn and prayed for a different experience. And so I'm hollering and screaming, and this horse is running back and forth, back and forth along the barbed wire fence, and every time he'd, he'd go by the fence, I had to lift up one leg, and then he'd turn around and go there, I had to lift up this leg, and I'm screaming my head off, but I knew better than to let go of that horse. And finally, my dad runs out there, and he gets control of the horse, and the horse got the belt this time, not me, because I held on, listened to his instruction, amen. <laughs> Listen, in order to be conformed to the image of Christ... You're going to have to believe his word once you hear it. And when you believe his word, then you're going to need to act upon that word. Believe and have the confidence that what God has said to you is the right thing. And it will lead you in the right way. And at the end of that thing is good for you. You know, God is always leading you somewhere to give you something. That's his purpose. Because not only is he, but he also is a rewarder to you who diligently seek him. And it also means that you're not going to have to endure all the hardships that are out there in the world if you'll just listen to his word and take action on it. God's not going to cause bad things to happen to you to try to teach you something. He's not an abusive father. But if bad things do happen, he's going to teach you. He causes all things to work together for good. It's like a tapestry that there are threads in it that weren't supposed to be in it. They don't belong there, but God somehow is able to make it all look like he had planned it all along. I tell my children, there's two ways you can learn the lesson. The easy way and the hard way. Whatever you choose, but you're going to learn it. You're going to learn the lesson. So whether you brought this upon yourself, your trouble on yourself, and listen, even if the devil himself has caused the problem, God can make it look like it was all part of the plan. What a marvelous thing that is to know that God is able to turn every situation around for your good. I had a bass player a few years ago when I had a rock band. Steven, my best buddy, was in that band too. It was when I started when I was in Bible school, actually, and we played for several years, mostly in uh, bars and clubs. And 
Um, Darren was a fabulous bass player, marvelous, could do things on the bass that I've never seen another bass player do. Uh, just incredible skill. But the problem with Darren was he didn't learn, he didn't have a foundation in learning how to play the bass. He didn't learn the basics first. He learned to play bass by listening to the great band Rush. And he listened to this player, the bass player named Getty Lee, who was also the lead singer and the keyboardist. The guy could, I, I've never seen anybody do what Getty Lee can. But Darren learned to play all these licks. I mean, he could do them, and he could make up these marvelous things. But if I just wanted him to play a simple song, just a simple worship song, you know, he just couldn't do it. He had the hardest time with that. And I could not understand that. Except he didn't have a foundation. And so there were a few missteps along the way. But one night we were having band practice and getting ready for the, the, the weekend coming up. And we're, uh, we're playing along. And Darren hits an, a, a wrong note, which is pretty normal for him uh, in practice. And Darren hit a wrong note. But I heard and I stopped. I stopped everything. I said, I said play that note again. And then Darren thought I was mocking him. He was like, okay, I played the wrong note. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not making fun of it. I said, play that note again. Hit that note again. So he hit the note again. I was like, yeah, let's use that note instead. And he said, really? I said, yeah, let's do that. Let's use that note. So from then on, Darren played that note like he had planned that note all along. Like he started that. Like he invented that. It looks like God had your missteps and your mistakes and the troubles in your life planned. But he didn't. But his love for you and his power and purpose can bring you through all of that stuff and make it look like he was in it. Because he is in this way that he's in you. And he has a purpose for you to be conformed to the image of his son. So he's patient in the process to see you through. See, in the spirit, you're already just like Jesus. In the spirit, he's already conformed you to his image. And in the spirit, he's empowered you to live out that experience in this life right now through bringing your mind, your will, and your emotions under control, which you can control, by the way, my family, in case you didn't realize that. Teenage girls, you can control your emotions. You really can. All right? And to walk this thing out by faith. Everybody all right? To be conformed to the image. God's desire for you to be conformed to the image of His Son is not going to happen, however, without a commitment on your part. Well, He has a part to play and we have a part to play. I want to just give you five simple little things in, commit, in your commitment to God that will cause you to live your life for God in a very successful way. You can have a successful walk with God every day of your life. You really don't have to sin if you don't want to. Amen. You don't have to. You don't have to fail. But this will help you. This, these foundational things. Number one, read your Bible every day. Have a daily dose of the, of the Scriptures in your life. A non-negotiable meeting with God at His Word. All right? 
Get his word in your life because your soul, your, your spirit feasts on that word. It needs the nourishment of the word so that you can help this body do what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Number two, pray. Have a non-negotiable time with God. Purpose to pray. Talk to him. Set time. Well, I don't know. I'm just busy. Hey, uh, everybody's busy. You can busy yourself with whatever you want. Amen. All right? You got all kinds of things vying for your, for your attention. And, and begging to distract you from what really matters in your life. Pray. Talk to Him. Let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. Amen. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Number three, go to church. Hey, you can check that off your list today. You did it. Amen. Go to church, stay in church. Go to church and stay in church. Amen. I got one good amen. Go to church and stay in church. Amen. Luke chapter 4 teaches us that Jesus, as his custom was, went to the synagogue. Hey, if Jesus needed church, I reckon you do too. He sought important to be there. He's committed to it. Scripture also says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Don't let this world talk you out of this very important thing. Don't let the things of this world talk you out of being in the house of God with God's people. It's an important experience in your walk. Your walk with the Lord depends on it. Number four, tell others about Jesus. Tell your story. Tell your testimony. You know, what if just once a week you decided once a week, I'm not going to let this week go by without telling somebody about Jesus. Opening your mouth and declaring the good news that saved you. That Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried. And that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And whoever believes on Him will receive everlasting life. What a glorious message that is. It's not your responsibility to to get people saved. It's just your responsibility to carry the message that saves people. All right? The message is the power to save. The gospel is the power to save. You're just the carrier of that message. And the deliverer of that message, huh? Takes the pressure off of you. Just deliver the message. Let it do the work. Amen. Let it do the work. Tell others your story. And number five, give generously. Give generously. God so loved the world that he gave. And he gave generously. Give generously. That is, a, a generous giver gives without hesitation. A generous giver is one who is premeditating giving. They're looking for the opportunity, seeking it out, always ready to act, always ready to give. That's what it means when God says God loves a cheerful giver. It, it, it means one who does not hesitate to act. Amen. It's not, well, we need to do something up there at the church, put something in the offering. I guess I need to do something. Got to keep the lights on this week. Pay the preacher a little bit. Huh? So it's not a grudging obligation. It's a glorious obsession for the generous giver. Amen. And you know what? You as Christians, you as children of God, it does something about your Our money is a spiritual matter. Our money is a spiritual matter because you are holy people who live holy lives. And you exchange your life for money. When you go to that job, you're exchanging your holy life for money. Guess what that does to the money? It makes the money holy. Hallelujah. It gives your money purpose. 
when that purpose is connected to the kingdom of God. So when you spend your life at your job making money or at your business, that money is becoming holy. Now listen, don't, don't believe the lie of religion. You're wasting your time out there at that job making money. No, that's not a waste of time. That's a mandate and a call from God to help His kingdom in the earth and to bless your life and in turn to bless others' lives. Glory. That makes giving easy. You know, section off money. Well, this is God's money and this is my money. Hey, your life came from God and your life that is spent on that came from God. All right, so when you know that it's all His anyway, praise God, you're free to give. Hallelujah. Yeah, welcome to Big People Church. Conformity looks like commitment to us. Conformity looks like commitment to us. Verse 30, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. The next thing we find in this luxurious lap of the Father, his love and purpose is assurance of salvation. Oh man, I can remember as a kid growing up, being told over and over again, just how sure we aren't of our salvation. And I always heard things like, <clears throat> just make sure that you're right with God. You got to make sure. Make sure you got all them sins confessed. What if I forget one? What if I forgot to talk about one? You're done for. Burning in hell with fiery indignation. Oh, God. Went to a little school. We heard about going to hell more than we did about going to heaven. You'll go to hell for that. You go to hell. I heard that all the time. You'll go to hell for that. You go to hell for that. You go to hell for that. Go to hell for that. What did Jesus do for us to make us so afraid? Why are we all still afraid? I read the Bible and I, it looks like I shouldn't be afraid, but when I hear this bozo, he says I'm supposed to be afraid. Never too sure, never know. I mean, we're, I don't know how many Sundays, I don't know how many times I've asked Jesus to come into my heart. Come back, please. Get back in here, Jesus. Until next Sunday, I'll find myself at the altar begging for you to come back again. That's my whole experience. Just insecure and full of fear and I was so afraid of God until I really believed the gospel and believed what the scripture said. We have this nuisance of a dog. No, he's not a nuisance. He's our, his name is Oreo. And he's, he's Oreo because of his colors. So our daughter Laurel named him that. It's her dog. And I feel like he's my dog. I'm the one that feeds him and waters him. Takes him outside. Or is a good dog. He is, he for the most part. And he does good to let you know when he needs to go outside to do his thing. And and he um, he obeys and he doesn't bark around the house. There's nothing more fun than a yapping dog around the house, isn't there? He just doesn't do those kinds of things, and you know, he's pretty unassuming. My kids, on the other hand, are a different story. They're loud and messy and make mistakes here and there. And, and believe it or not, you probably wouldn't believe this about preacher's kids. 
But once in a while, they'll disobey. It's probably brand new news to many of you. Once in a while, they'll disobey. They're, not, they're all good kids, though. I'm blessed to have them. But you know, that dog isn't getting one lick of my inheritance. That belongs to my children. You can live a well-trained and a well-disciplined life and still miss out on everything that God has for you. Listen, well-disciplined lives are, are, cloaked, are cloaked in a dead religion. They're cloaking a dead religion. We say, oh, I mean, there are a lot of people living uh, uh, religious lives that live a whole lot cleaner than you and I do. They're way more disciplined in many ways, and they're still not made righteous because it is not of works. The only one that can assure you of your salvation and your eternal life is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He said, I am. I don't just know the way. I am the way. I don't just speak the truth. I am the truth. I'm not here talking about life. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Wow. No one comes to the Father. All these other roads or pathways that men and religions are creating to some kind of afterlife or to God, men building roads. Yeah, they say, you know, you know the you've heard the phrase, all roads lead to God. Right? You've heard that? All roads lead to God. That's, that's the world philosophy. It's the world thinking. And, and I believe that. It is true. They all go right to the judgment seat. All of them. They all lead right there to the judge. But Jesus said, I'm not taking you to the judge. You get on this way that I am, the way of the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That road takes you to the Father, not to the judge. Hallelujah. That's the assurance that you have. God justified you. He declared you righteous. In other words, in right standing with God. And it says, he who justified you also glorified you. In other words, what he started, he is sure to finish. He didn't just save you from sin and a destructive past. He saved you from a destructive future. He settled the issue. You've been rescued and delivered from the wrath that is to come. Hallelujah. Glorification means that you're resurrected and you receive your eternal body. Hallelujah. In other words, you're saved to the bone. I like that. Spirit, soul, and I want you to say that today. I'm saved to the bone. Glorified. Hallelujah. The purpose of God is for you to, to give you assurance of your salvation or your glorification. In the back of the Bible is a book we all know as Revelation. There are many experts who write books on Revelation telling you when Jesus is coming back and all this stuff. And we found that the experts that write their books and set their dates come and they go, they come and they go, they come and they go. Oh, they come and take people's money and they go and they come and deceive people and take more money and they go and then they come and take more money and they go. I just wonder... When are they going to wake up and say, you know, we don't really have any idea, actually. We're going to stop calling ourselves experts on something we have no clue of. 
We do, know, we do know these facts. Jesus Christ is coming back. Praise God, we do know that. We do know that we who are alive and remain will be caught up with those who are dead, those who sleep in Jesus, and will meet the Lord in the air, the Scripture says, and, and we'll meet together in the clouds, and thus we'll ever be with the Lord. We know that for a fact. When and how all that's going to happen, I don't care. Eric Holler, Eschatology 101. I don't care as long as he comes. That's all I care about. I want to write a book. We will be raptured, the alive and the dead, to meet Jesus in the air. Chapter 2. Jesus Christ will return with his saints. Chapter 3. The end. Fifteen ninety-five. <laughs> but in there, John is recording. He's been exiled to a, the island of Patmos. They couldn't kill him. They tried to kill him. They boiled him in oil, and he wouldn't die. So they sent him out to this island, all by himself, exiled. And this is where he has a revelation of Jesus Christ and of heaven. And there's something that John saw there that, that day that the Scripture records. It says he saw a number of people that no man could number. When I read that, I wonder who that is he's looking at. Who's he seeing? Who did John see? It's people around the throne worshiping the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. It's people who are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Who did these people come from? Who are these people? You, 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 you. You didn't even know you are in the Bible, did you? You, you, you're there. John saw you. He saw you. Who else could it be? He saw you there. This is how saved you are. It's already written in a book. So if you fail, if you mess up, they can't rewrite the book. They can't unheaven you. What are you going to do? There's no rewriting it. It is written. Oh, man. Let me say it like this for my religious friends. You're going to heaven whether you like it or not. I love that. I like it. Number three. <laughs> he gives us that assurance of salvation. Number three, confidence that God is on your side. I love to know that God is on my side. Now, it doesn't tell us that we need to get on God's side. It says that God is on our side. Amen. We couldn't get on God's side. No matter how much we did, no matter how hard we tried, and God knew that. So he decided to get on our side. He decided to come and help us, to come and save us. Think about this. The very fact that God became a man proves to us that he's on our side. That the word would become flesh and dwell among us proves to us that God is on our side. The angel said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Unto you, this is your gift. 
glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward man. God is on your side. And that baby who would grow up in the wisdom and stature of God, who would come with grace and truth, who would heal the sick, who would begin to unravel the evil works of the devil who had come and trapped men and brought sin into the world and its consequences of sickness and disease and demonic activity and demon possession. And, and Jesus would come and set the captives free and he would bind up the brokenhearted and he would open the blind eyes and open the deaf ears. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do this. He came to earth to help us who were too weak to do anything about it. He became our strength. While we were enemies, he died for us. We know that God is on our side. Not only did Jesus do all that, by taking all of our sins, nailing them into that cross, and that law that was against us, that only could tell us how evil and how wrong we were and just how unperfect we were, that law could, 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 could diagnose the problem, but it couldn't do anything to fix it. And Jesus took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and he disarmed principalities and powers, and he triumphed over them in the death of his cross, and he carried all of our sins and failures to that grave, buried, gone for good, and he rose in the power of God back to life. And the scripture says he ascended to the Father's right hand into heaven, seated there on a throne called the throne of grace, on a seat called the mercy seat. As a man... There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. The very fact that Jesus came on this earth as a baby, and the fact that he is the risen Lord of all glory, seated at the right hand of God, is proof that God is on your side. In 1933... They began construction on the Golden Gate Bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge was a dangerous, dangerous project. Eleven or twelve men fell to their deaths while building that bridge. And then about another dozen after that, or, or somewhere sprinkled in all that mess, uh, men had fallen and been badly injured. Finally, they came up with a plan. They built a net under the construction site. And, and a few more guys did fall, but none of them died. Isn't it interesting? It took all those people. Why didn't they do that after one guy? <laughs> took them a while. Oh, we should do something about this. Everybody's dying. So they built a net. And those that fell afterwards didn't die. And something else marvelous happened. The productivity went up. By 25%. Because when men could focus on their work without the fear for their safety, they could work really well. See, productivity comes up in great measure for you who know that God is on your side. That know that your failure is not greater than His grace. Hallelujah. Because where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. This causes you to become a 
better disciple, to live in your righteous experience, to, to speak better things, to think better thoughts, and to act in a better way. Hallelujah. To really live out this righteousness that you've become. Grace, the freedom that you have, that it has brought, does not make you more evil and, 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 uh, and, pr- and uh, prone, I should say, to sin more. Quite the opposite is true. Rules and regulations, that thumb on you is what makes you, strengthens you to fail. Scripture says the law is the strength to sin or the license. But grace is the power over it. For sin shall not have dominion over you, according to Romans 6.14. For you're not under law, you're under grace. Say it, I'm under grace. God is for me. Hallelujah. And lastly, lastly, the fourth reality that we have, fourth truth coming to us from this great passage of Scripture. Excuse me. Where is it? Find it, holler. Is the knowledge, the knowledge of the price He paid for your abundance. He who spared not His own Son. How many of you have kids in here today? You have kids? All right. And I think I'm, then I think I'm in, a, in, in good company when I say I have three wonderful kids. And I would not, well, I have two wonderful kids, and then I have one, another one. Have, <laughs> I'll let them guess who I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but not for one second, not for one second, would I, would, I, would I give my son up to die for, to save somebody else's life? That would never happen. Would you? Would you give up your child to help somebody else out? How, how, about, how about everybody in this? Let's, let's just say everybody in this room right here. Would you help everybody out in this room by giving up your child's life? If it could save everybody in this room? You're telling me everybody here is going to die? All right, good. Then, we haven't, then you understand that I'm going to tell you the same thing. I wouldn't give up my child for any of you. I love all of you, but I don't love you like I love my children. And I hope the feeling's mutual. I wouldn't give them, I wouldn't give any of them up for all of Collin County. I'd let everybody in Collin County die before I gave up one of my children. It's just tough luck. I would. Not going to do that. I love them too much. I wouldn't let any, I'd let the state of Texas die. Then give up one of my children. Are you catching this today? But God, or Oklahoma for that matter. Throw in Oklahoma too. Smart Alec. But God so loved the world that he gave, he spared not his own son. Now, my family, we can't create or manufacture that kind of love. The only thing that we can do about that kind of love is receive it and accept it as true, that God loves us that much, that He just wouldn't live without us. He would pay whatever price, whatever price to have you, even His own son's life, to have you.
gives us understanding the knowledge of the price he paid for your abundance. It says, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? If he'll give you Jesus, there ain't nothing he'll hold back. And he says he'll freely give you all things. He doesn't have a closed fist. The Scripture says you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The problem is down here. We're not asking for it. We're not expecting it. We don't have the understanding of that price. So we don't know to ask for it. We think we have to earn it. We think we've got to do something good in order to get God to smile down on us, turn His frown into a smile. When He already did it, He already showed us the greatest expression of love, that He really did get over our sin, and He invites us to come. Anything, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. I gave you Jesus. My arms are wide open. My provision is all here for you. And James said, we have not because we ask not. So ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. That's what Jesus said. These are the assuring words of Jesus to us. Whatever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them, and you will have them. Freely give you all things. The knowledge of the price He paid for your abundance. Living in the lap of God. His love and purpose means conformity to Jesus. It means assurance of salvation. It means confidence that God is on your side. And it means knowledge that we have, knowledge of the price He paid for our abundance. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time in Your presence with Your precious people. Lord, we've received the Word. And now we say, let Your Word do what it does. That Your Word will take deep root in our hearts because it is a seed. And what's in that seed, Lord... We will care for, we will guard it, and we will see it come to fruition as we say what God has said, as we accept what you have said to us today. Jesus said, these are the ones that are sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit. Hear it, accept it and bear fruit. Today, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. Only you know that. Or even if you have a relationship with Him. But I do know this. He is calling you. He's calling you to Him. He's calling you to Him to receive of His grace today. Maybe for the first time in your life, you need to make a decision to believe on Jesus as your only way of salvation, as your only hope of God. That today you realize there's nothing I can do. I must trust Jesus to save me. And He will. Just simply believe that He died for you. He died for your sins. Every failure, every nasty, perverted cheating, lying thing that you've ever done. Jesus died for that. And He gives you the free gift of life. Life that really begins after death here. 
It already has begun in the Spirit when you believe on Him. But you're going to know its reality in full when you see Him face to face and be so grateful that day that He came and saved you. Today, if you need to be saved today, today if you need to become a child of God, it's simple. Believe on Jesus. Just say something like, Jesus, come into my life. I confess that you are Lord of my life. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that they buried you in a tomb. And I believe that you rose again the third day. I accept you as Lord of my life. I receive your forgiveness for my sins. I receive your acceptance of me. You accepted me before you, I ever even looked for you. And today I acknowledge that. Today I believe that I, at this moment, am a child of God because of your grace. There's some of you, he's, he's calling out of insecurities and fears to uncertainty in your relationship with God and even in life, the struggles you're dealing with. And some of you have had the wrong ideas about God. You thought that God was making all this stuff happen when he wasn't. He was the one turning it around for good. He was the one helping you see, help you come to the victorious place in your life, helping you to overcome. He's been on your side the entire time. And hopefully there have been some corrections there where, where there have been wrong thinking. Where there's been wrong thinking, where there's been a wrong idea about him. He loves you. He's your heavenly father. And he said, if you know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will he give good gifts to you? Receive him today. Receive his love and accept. Receive his grace today. Receive his freedom from fear today. Believe today that what Jesus did for you was an eternal thing, not a temporary thing, not something that depends on you acting right. But he did all the acting that needed to be done. He did all the work that was necessary and gives you grace. Grace is just what God wants you to have, not, not what you deserve, what God wants you to have. That's what it is, and that's what he wants you to have. He loves you today. When you leave here, be assured of that. No longer walk and stumble in uncertainty. But walk this walk of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. And it is by faith that we walk every day. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you guys for coming. Don't forget, this Wednesday we do not have... Wednesday night service. Happy, happy, happy Thanksgiving to all of you and your family. Let me, let me just pray a quick prayer over you uh, before Jeremiah comes. Father, uh, how many of you are traveling? Let me just, just raise your hands where you are. Father, I thank you, Lord, for these that are going to be traveling. I thank you that you give your angels charge over them to keep them in all of their ways. Lord, I thank you that you're with them, Lord. You're a very present help in time of need. That you would be with them, Lord, in their travel. Lord, all the way there to where they're going, while they're there, and all the way home in the name of Jesus. Thank you for a blessed time, a time of peace, a time of joy, a time, Lord, of fellowship. And, and, and laughter and fun, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for blessing all these here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.